On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Lennon, and Lennon was in a controlling relationship with a sexually coercive financial abuser. It's a story of people-pleasing, trust-building, guilt trips, nitpicking, threats, intimidation, and what love isn't. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Lennon. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I am doing well, and thank you so much for being here with us today. And if you want to be a guest like Lennon is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you'll see all of these instructions. Please read them all and then send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And we can never have enough stories. So please do send in your stories today. And today we are going to hear Lennon's story. And Lennon was with someone who was very controlling. And it's one of those stories where things start off where I don't know if really abuse is going on. And then things start to escalate and they escalate and they escalate. And then all of a sudden things are completely different from when your relationship started. And I just really want to thank you for being here. You're going to help out a lot of people. So a big trigger warning for uh, sexual abuse, sexual coercion in this episode. And now, without further ado, Lennon, the floor is now yours. Okay, thank you. Um, First, I know everybody usually thanks you so much. And I really, from the bottom of my heart, honestly, this podcast has completely changed my life. Like, I, I think it's really important that people, people like me, I need to see myself in other stories for it to make sense and to draw a similarity so that you can kind of see the situation you're in. So thanks. Um, I guess I'll start out, you know, from the start. I, uh, when I was a kid, I grew up in a really, really great house. I had my mom, my dad, my sister, we moved around a lot. I learned to depend on them as like my unit very, very much. I was always the new kid in school. There was always that element of me being kind of alone, but I, I grew very, very close to my family despite all of that and because of it, really. Um, my sister is handicapped and uh, that created in my house this sense of caretaking on my part in the sense like I... I saw her suffering. I saw my parents suffering because of it. So I learned really, really young not to have my emotions be so loud that they took anything away from what she needed. I learned to cover things up with humor or to pretend like it's just not that big of a deal. I also really learned at this time how to be an incredible overachiever. I felt like I was making up for what she couldn't do. Uh, She was in a wheelchair. So there was a lot of things like just even physically that, you know, she couldn't do. So I did it 
twice as much. I did twice what a normal kid probably is expected. And I mean, if my parents heard that, they'd be so sad because that's how lovely they are. They're just so great. They would never want that for me. But uh, I definitely, definitely did that. So there are four different types of families where invalidation can happen. And one of those families is where someone within the family has a, a physical issue or a mental issue where they become the focus of the family and the other child becomes invalidated because they're just have to kind of go along and there's a sometimes a parentification that goes on as well within those families uh, but your role specifically your a lot of your emotions and feelings get disregarded because someone else is the focus, even though it's not an abusive family at all. Right. Um, but you pick up these unhealthy traits and unhealthy uh, coping mechanisms because that then becomes uh, your role. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's one of these things that you start to become this person. You don't even realize it's happening, but here you are now you know, stuffing your feelings down, learning how to handle your own emotions, especially at like a younger age, just not being able to talk to people about your feelings. It was never anything that I really uh, put a, a like real understanding into. So I didn't even realize that I had done all these things until many years later when I'm an adult thinking, this is crazy uh, how I wound up in my current situation. I can definitely trace it back to the fact that I was raised to be very empathetic, right? So someone is suffering. You can see it every single day in your house. The whole mood of the house shifts based on her health, her well-being, and you learn how to sort of navigate through that, right? And not be a problem and to maybe be a little quieter or in my case, be more of a star. Well, you're, being a star means that you're not causing any waves, Mm-hmm. you're parenting yourself in a lot of ways where you, you say to your parents, hey, you don't have to worry about me. Correct. And then at the same time, you know, some people might resent the uh, person that is ill, but then other ways you might say, do you know what? You know, this person has it worse than me. I have nothing to complain about. Yes. You know? So right away here, what's happening with you is you're seeing yourself probably through achievement to gain your self-worth. Um, you are empathetic to uh, other people's needs and you are not seeing your needs as valid and that um, there's always someone that could have it worse. Don't dwell on this your emotions aren't worthy of dwelling on this soldier on because that's what we do here. And you're really good at working within the shadows and finding those spaces to crawl into. Yes. To, um, you know, not be a problem and just be a team player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I learned really young not to go against the system. I don't want to be the one crying when clearly they've got bigger problems. My parents, my sister. Oh, my gosh. Every day you see it. Right. 
there was nothing to speak up about in my mind, right? Because whatever my little problem was, my issue, I could literally look down the dinner table and be like, <laughs> I this I got it easy. You know what I mean? I I can walk. I can do these things. So any problems that I'm complaining about, you know, a boy at school or a grade in this class, it, it, it doesn't register. Would you even at least think it? Yes, I would think it. I would think, wow, <laughs> I wish this situation was different. And then I, I really, at this time also, like I began really looking around and thinking, I am the only one with this crazy life. I see all my friends, they all have siblings that are healthy. They're going on family vacations. They're camping. They're going to church. They're doing these things that we just simply could not do, right? Um, and so you start feeling like really different and kind of isolated in that sense, maybe a feeling of like nobody really understands. You're you're sort of an island, right? I knew nobody with a handicapped sibling growing up ever. And even now, I I don't really know anybody. And what was your uh, fr- what were your friendships like back then and your dating r- life uh, as a teen? I had really great friendships. So I was um, captain of sports teams. I was, you know, very like, I would say, well liked at school. I had a lot of really, really solid, good friends. I was very fortunate for that. I, um, one of my first boyfriends, I, I, I believe, you know, he was one of my like, my first serious boyfriends. He was an athlete in school, a very, very popular, but he was like a bully. And I remember that uh, thinking, and he just really adored me for some reason. I think it's, you know, for whatever reason, right? And I remember thinking like, my gosh, this guy's like such a jerk, right? But he really is into me. He really likes me. And it's so nice to be really liked by somebody who's maybe not always nice to everybody else, but for some reason he wants to be nice to me. And that felt like a win to me. Uh, so I think that really kind of set me up for failure. And I should also speak a little bit about my relationship with my dad. Um, so my dad is an incredible man. He's he's very, very intelligent. He's very, very kind. He's also extremely introverted, very emotionally, like, closed down. I think all of his emotion, honestly, any that he had just went towards my sister. So there wasn't a lot left for me. And I, um, like my, my love language is words. And I just, honestly, I just never got that from him. I knew he was proud of me. He would come to my sports games. He would, you know, do certain things. Like he was involved in my life, but there was never that verbal thing. So even like, even now when I talk to him, I'll say like, okay, I love you. And he doesn't say it back. (laughs) And it's like the weirdest thing. But I think from a young age, I learned that I wanted that from someone. I wanted someone to tell me they loved me, to say it, but to mean it. And I know my dad loves me. It's not like that severe of a daddy issue. But when this guy in high school started, you know, pursuing me and vocally telling me how much he wanted me to be his girlfriend, I was like, oh, okay, you know. Um, things kind of, you know, it was rocky, like it's high school. Right. So, uh, I learned that like, he wasn't a nice guy. He wasn't, he wasn't a nice guy. He wasn't a nice guy to me all the time. And that's the first indication looking back that I have, that I would swallow down my sadness or any, anything that was wrong to keep him happy. I distinctly remember thinking to myself, 
I cannot break up with this guy until high school is over because he will spread rumors about me and he will be, he will talk cruelly about me and I just can't deal with that. So I stayed with him and it was terrible. I wasted years of my life with this guy just in high school because I was afraid of what he would say to me. So fast forward, I get into college. So I guess before you get into college, what are your uh, belief systems about uh, life? What do you want out of life? How do you view the world? Do you have a um, innocent view of the world and of people still? Uh, yes, absolutely. So my mom and I joke around about it a lot. Like we didn't even know what red flags were. I, I had no idea. If you would say to me back then, give me an example of a red flag. I'd be like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. There just wasn't that kind of communication, I think, going on, whether it's in my family or just in general. Uh, so my parents, their marriage was extreme. It is. It's extremely supportive, incredible. My dad adores my mother. There's I've, I've seen them fight maybe once and it was kind of funny. Um, you know, it was never there was no abuse in the house. There was no my dad would never say anything crazy to my mom but I also kind of viewed that as a little boring right like I'm a teenager and I'm like oh that's really nice I remember the nice guys would want to date me and I I think to myself I would walk all over them where's the fun in that I didn't want to you know have at that point like what my parents had I just perceived it as being very boring which really was because my life was so regimented because of my sister's so, you know, we're on a schedule. She has to have medicine at this time and this time and this time. And you can't go here and you can't go there. And you have to have this available to her. I wanted to really buck that system. I really wanted adventure. I wanted to travel. I wanted to move to New York or San Francisco, some big city. And I wanted to own it. You know, I never wanted to get married. I just wanted to, like, never have kids. I wanted freedom and chaos. I wanted everything that my childhood wasn't. So kind of where I was at that point. Um you know, I, I, I was so appreciative of my parents' relationship. It was so beautiful and still is. I just needed more in my life. I was bored. So before we even get to university, you're looking for a partner in crime. You're looking for the, uh, I guess, the Clyde to your Bonnie. And you're just kind of being wild, going cross country, doing whatever you want family might not be a really big thing to you at this point, like as far as your age goes, and you just really want to take um, the world and by the reins and just ride. I did. I really, really did. I wanted, I wanted to feel alive. I wanted to feel the freedom of just, I remember even getting into the car as a child (laughs) and being like, this is taking so long just to get into the car with the wheelchair and the this and all the things that go. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I want to be unencumbered. I want nothing. Uh, I just wanted. But then I have this thing like this strong, strong vibe of wanting to completely be successful to make my parents proud. And by this point, I was successful. You know, I was everything that I, I set my mind to. I did. So failure is a big deal to you. You can't have things fail. You cannot. You okay. cannot fail. I, I could not fail. Nobody's telling me this. I'm telling myself. I will not fail. 
So eventually you go to university and you meet your first husband, whom this story is not about, and you do eventually split up with your first husband. But tell us the story of how you met your first husband and what happened in that relationship. One night I meet this guy and I'm like, this is it. I'm basically married. In my mind, I knew the night I met him, I was going to marry him. It was just the craziest thing. Um, And he, you know, was, we're young, we're babies, but the love of my life, right? Like, you just knew that night, like, this is it. Suddenly, the thought of settling down and having a house and babies was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. I can still be successful. We'll still go on vacations. I'm still going to have this incredible life. But now I have someone that wants these same things as me, right? Um, he wants to do the same things as I do. And and we're in this together. And he's so great. And he's awesome. So we're married. Everything's great. But, you know, fast forward years, like, he is lovely. He is everything I've ever dreamed of in terms of a partner. He is funny. He is smart. He's um, a go-getter. So I love that. I love, like, he tells me he loves me. You know, he's very vocal with that. He's just, he's great. We end up having two kids, um, two very successful businesses, a dream house, all the things. And then one day he says, you know what? It's been 10 years of marriage and I'm, I'm kind of done. And he dropped the bomb on me. Like I was completely clueless. And things just, my whole entire existence just completely shit the bed. (laughs) Like it was just so awful. It was, it went from me thinking that I'm at a 10 in my life, that I have successfully created this life filled with adventure and we make good money. And, uh, you know, we were so close with each other's families, which was really important to me. So the rug is completely, completely pulled out from me. And not only am I dealing with the, the the feelings of like, my heart is shattered. I don't even have one left at this point, but I am deeply, deeply shamed because I have failed. And it wasn't me who quit. It was him. And that's a really tough thing to handle too, right? Like when someone just decides that they're done, you can't force anybody to stay. So I just walked through. It was so humiliating to me. I, I remember telling him, crying, like, this is so embarrassing. This is so embarrassing. I have to tell people that you're leaving me and I am ashamed. Not only that my heart is crushed and I will never be the same person, but I am mortified, right? So there's a lot of pride that was involved in that. And then um, it was miserable. Moving forward a little bit, I, uh, I'm i in the same house. Everything's the same. I'm just raising these kids and working even harder than ever. He is, my first husband has now got a girlfriend. He's He's going on the adventures with her that I always wanted that we said we would go on, but he left and did them with her. So now I'm like, oh, this is the worst. <laughs> you know, it's just like so painful. It adds another level of pain. And one night I was, this is a few years after, you know, uh, I was seeing this guy. He was like a friend, but straight, like whatever. Um, I was on his, at his house on a, a, like a rooftop thing. And I see these two guys over at the grill and I say, 
they're taking up the whole grill. Like that's so annoying to me because I wanted to cook. Right. So I went over there and I said, excuse me, can y'all just move down a little bit? We started talking. Turns out they had just moved to town the week before they're, um, you know, alone. It's just the two of them. They just moved there. They clearly couldn't cook very well. So I felt like, okay, let me, let me cook y'all some food because I have so much here. So let me take care of you in this way. So we started all talking and it turned out to be that one of those guys ended up being my second husband, who this story is about. Somehow that night we left. I was like, great meeting y'all. Have a nice night. I went home, whatever. He found me on Facebook and it was so weird because I'm thinking, I just met you, you know, for like two hours, but that's kind of the way Facebook works, right? I mean, I don't know. Uh, It was strange. So he started messaging me and I remember thinking like, what? This is insane. I, this guy's younger. I want nothing to do with him. In fact, I think he's lovely. I think he's great. He, um, he's intelligent, clearly. Uh, He's got a lot going for him. He's like an, an up and coming in his field. You can tell he's successful based on his job and what he does. I, I, I even tried to hook him up with one of my girlfriends who was younger, thinking like, no, this is a much better match. Not me, not me. I've got all this baggage and all this stuff. So what ended up happening is that he started texting me over this app. And it became almost like, almost like this weird pen pal sort of situation. I didn't see him, never saw him. I knew he lived in my city. He was very busy doing what he did. I was very busy doing what I did. But it was this constant attention through this app and the texting. And then one day he's like, oh, this app is so, so hard because sometimes my messages don't come through. Can I just have your number? And I'll just text you on that. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, like now we're we're friends, right? So, of course, now he has my number. So it sort of escalate in the sense of now he's got my number and now he's texting all the time and I'm texting all the time. And what I realize is that There are days when he is literally the best part of my day. Just him telling me like, good luck today at your, you know, your particular job that you've got going on. I know you'll do great. This support from somebody and honestly, like the attention that he was giving me filled a void in me that I just wasn't getting from anything else. Um, But I was also being groomed and thinking like it was this weird thing because he would tell me how beautiful I was and how sexy I was. Which, you know, when you're married for 10 years and have two young kids, that's not something that you're going to hear probably like all the time. But he was grooming me almost into making me feel like I I was that. He made me feel that way. And he made me feel that way being younger than me. And that kind of even added to more of it. Right. So it's like this weird thing, you know, um, where you're just sort of on the receiving end of like compliment after compliment. And like, I can't believe he left you you're so beautiful, you're this, you're that, like just saying everything that you want to hear, you don't even realize you want to hear it. He's feeding into the insecurity of why someone left you, which boom, that will hit you hard right there. That was it. That was good. Like, yeah. And and then, uh, yeah, I just remember thinking like, okay, this guy, he's, he's actually really great. Like, what am I doing? He's stable. He's got money, you know, in the sense that he's got like a really great job. He's successful. He loves to tell me how successful he is. Um, And I should also say that I have always been extremely attracted to um, confidence. I love confidence because 
I think a lot of people are, but for me, especially, it was like any, anything that I felt like I didn't have confidence in having a partner that was super confident, fulfilled anything in me that I did not have. Right. So he's extremely confident. Um, at, at this point it comes off as confidence and I like that. And I liked that he would kind of, uh, you know, ask these questions like deep, deep questions and I remember thinking, like, wow, this is so incredible. This guy really wants to know me. Now I know is information gathering, right? Like, I, I literally would hand him the playbook on how to hurt me. It, it was shocking. I mean, looking back, you see it, right? But at the time, I'm thinking, here's a guy who is attractive and he's confident and he's telling me how amazing I am and all these things, right? And it is so refreshing and just is like filling me like a drink of water you know like that feeling of like okay somebody's filling my cup just felt like someone cared someone wanted to know me someone saw me valuable someone saw me as something worthy um in my job I was surrounded by a lot of a lot of men and guys and things like this. And it was just, oh, I was so tired of like the cheap, gross, flirtatious thing that when somebody really wanted to know me and sort of look past what I looked like, it was, it was refreshing. It felt nice. And keep in mind too, like this is all like a uh, pen pally kind of vibe in my head. Cause I wasn't seeing him. I didn't see him until one night he says, oh, hey, I am getting off work late. I know you are too. Let's meet up at this bar. So I'm like, okay, cool. I got nothing. I didn't have my kids that night. I'll go out. I'll, I'll see you again. You know, we're friends now. You you know, deep, intimate, dark things about me. Let's, let's go meet, right? So we just met for a drink and it was so great. And then, then things really started moving quickly. As soon as I saw him that first time, he t I believe he texted me the next night and was like, I want to come over. And I remember thinking like, Ooh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. This seems like a lot, right? Like, am I ready for this? I just saw him for the first time after a few months, but now we're friends, right? He knows so much about me. Okay, come over. And that's when things went to the next level because knowing me is a very difficult thing sometimes because I just don't, I don't just come and show all my cards like that. And so the fact that he had taken the time and like groomed, really groomed me into trusting him was, it was like, okay, well, this is it, right? Well, you grew up with no one really knowing you because you didn't really have a voice. And then the only other person that knew you was someone who after 10 years was like, whatever. So this is technically the second person to ever take the time to know you. And even though you might be in your 30s at this point, this is only the second person to actually really get to know you. Yes, you're absolutely right. And, and the level of knowing that he got in is mind-blowing to me, how quickly that whole thing happened. Um, and just, I think I was just like, like I said, like at a, such a low that I allowed it. I was so lonely. I was so sad. I was so desperate for um, not just like, <laughs> like sex. I, that's, that wasn't what I was looking for at all. The fact that someone wanted to know me was the biggest thrill. It wasn't about anything else for me. Uh, and then, you know, so then we ended up um, 
getting together that night, right, when he came over. And I remember thinking, like, I'm just going to do this once <laughs> and then just be done with it because this is all too much. It's too crazy. This is not, I don't need this in my life. It seems really intense. I'm not looking for that right now. I'm just looking for a friend, whatever. But things started rolling super, super quick. So as soon as he had that in, he knew where I lived. He was comfortable with things. He came in that first night and looked at my TV and said, that TV is wired wrong. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, your uh, ex-husband's an idiot. And that TV is wrong. And he like rewired the whole thing. And I'm not into technology at all. So I'm like, whatever, dude, do whatever you want. Like, make this happen. This is great. Someone's helping me. Right. So he comes in and he kind of like asserts himself as I'm a man and I will take care of you in this house kind of vibe. So he came in and with with that first act, I realized like, oh, this is this is nice now having a man. It was almost like dating a maintenance guy. (laughs) He was so good at, at kind of seeing a problem fixing it and moving on to the next problem. But what you didn't realize was that he's exerting control because there's always a problem. Always a problem. So the real next thing that happens. So now I'm still like, do I really want some guy in here? You know, like doing all this, he's being helpful and I'm being ungrateful. I'm going to let him help because it makes him feel good. And listen, my TV is working better now, so I really shouldn't complain, right? The next thing happened, the, the biggest thing at this point that happened, it was like, oh, painful. And it sounds so ridiculous is that my garage was just a typical for me garage, right? A place to store things. I never even occurred to me to park in my garage. That just didn't even cross my mind. It was like a storage unit, essentially. And he walked out there one day and he was like, oh, my gosh, this is madness. What is all this stuff? And I was like, oh, well, I have this over here and I've got that over there. You know, he's like, let's organize your garage. And I thought, oh, for me, there could be nothing that sounds more boring in my life ever. Right. Like, no, let's go to a bar. Let's go get a drink. I would rather do anything in this world than organize my garage. But he's telling me it's a problem and he's telling me he can help me. And he's telling me that he can fix it for me and that I'll be able to park in the garage. Then he played into you'll be safer if you can park your car in the garage and kind of hone in on that fear of my being alone at night, you know, alone with two kids, that kind of thing. So I thought, okay, so I I gave in. It took four days for us to go through this garage. And let me tell you, it was awful. He went through every single box that I owned, every single picture, every single note, every single uh, ex-boyfriend little love letter from high school. Essentially, my entire life was in that garage and I didn't even realize what was happening. He knew everything about, he saw pictures of my kids when they were first born. He saw, you know, um, pictures from my wedding, you know, just like so many things my entire life, like I said, and it was agonizing, painful, going down that memory, you know, uh, the road of all of this. I didn't want to see it myself. There would be times when I would go into the bathroom and I would just cry because it was so painful. I don't want to go down this. I'm still so broken from my first marriage that it was just, and he was absolutely relentless in saying like, go through every one of these pictures, throw out the ones you don't want. 
So very early on here, after you finally meet, things escalate. Mm-hmm. And you're finding out he's this micromanager and has control issues. Um, what I've heard so far is that at the beginning here, you wanted to put up a boundary, but you then self-regulated yourself to not put up that boundary. So you did the work for him. But then in this garage situation, you actually put up a boundary of what you wanted and it was disregarded. Mm-hmm. And now you're spending four days in your own internal um, hell of hell. these memories that you do not want to go through. And now you're being micromanaged through that under the guise of I'm concerned for you. I care about you and I want your safety. So, so much is gone on here in this garage scene. Yeah. Yes. It felt like it felt like it. I mean, it felt absolutely like I was completely tormented and under the guise. And he's like, oh, you're just going to love this. My parents were like, this is so great. He's so helpful. Look what he's doing. This is amazing. This is so nice of him. And my girlfriends were like, what? He's doing this. This is awesome. And, And then I assume that later on, and this is my assumption, is that you're going to be called ungrateful. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I am the worst. You know, because so uh, if one, if he were to go out in the garage later and something was off the shelf that should be on the shelf, I, I am in trouble. Like, oof, I gave you all that time. I did all of this for you. I bought you shelving for your garage. And this is how you pay me back. Um, so we go through the garage thing. We're over. It's done. I'm parking my car in the garage. It's lovely. I'm like, oh, boy, great. Thank you so much, right? And then time goes by, and he's now, like, coming to my house when my kids are already asleep because they're young at this point, right? So he comes to my house. He stay, He's, like, staying over and leaves before they wake up. So it's just this weird thing where I'm feeling kind of shady. I don't like it. I, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not a shady person at all. I felt secretive. I felt like I'm keeping secrets from people and I don't, I don't like that. I certainly don't need my news spread all over the entire world, but I did feel this element of almost like shame, guilt in a way, but he was so like, I really want to see you. I need to come and see you. I really want to be there. And then he started pushing. I really want to meet your kids. So this is, you know, a few months in and I'm thinking, this guy's so great. I know he's going to, I, I'm pretty sure he's going to be around for a while. Like, might as well meet my kids. I felt a lot of guilt towards my kids because their dad was essentially gone. Um, I feel that that was my fault. You know, I failed him. He left me. It's my fault. And now my kids are really missing a, a male figure in their life. Right. Also, uh, he is from across the country. So it's not like I'm running into anybody that knows him. I have no, you know, no background on him whatsoever. I don't know his family. I don't know any ex-girlfriends. Nobody knows him. He's new to the town, right? Um, But yeah, he came in and 
really wanted to meet my kids like really bad. And what I did not realize at the time is that kids can be love bombed. So I think we talk a lot about like, yeah, you know, it's easy to be love bombed as a person. That's really easy to do. You buy me flowers and give me a bottle of wine and tell me I'm great. And I'm like, yes, this is amazing. I, I did not realize what, what he was doing to my kids. And, um, it was so refreshing for me to see somebody care so deeply about my kids at that point, because essentially their father had just walked away. And now I've got somebody who is buying them all sorts of toys and gifts and taking us out to dinner every Friday night at our favorite restaurant. Buy, get whatever you want. Get whatever you want off the menu. You know, like playing basketball with my son, riding on scooters with them all over the place. Things that like their dad was too busy to do and that he freely had time for and the energy for and was like absolutely devoted to that. So I watched that go down and I thought, this guy's, this guy's incredible. Like, what is wrong with him? Like, how has he not been married? How does he not have any kids? And that was also appealing to me. He had no baggage in my mind. There wasn't some weird, awful divorce in his history that I had to like wade through with some new wife or, you know what I mean? Or old wife, you know, there was none of that. It was just, I thought this guy is a gift. Like he really is incredible. So, yeah, you know, we we dated. We dated for years. And the more time went by, the more my kids loved him and loved him. But there really became this thing of I started realizing mm, something's something's off. Like, I'm not a fighter. I don't fight. I don't love it. I, I hate confrontation. I don't like when I if I am in an argument with somebody, I think really long and hard about what I'm going to say to them because I don't what hurt their feelings. I don't want to say something that I can't take back. Right. So I tend to be very like um, quiet in an argument, very methodical in what I say. A lot of times I like to really think things out before I even talk to somebody about when I'm upset, but nine times out of 10, I'm going to swallow that. I'm not even going to say I'm upset. I'm just going to take it and, and do, you know, with it, what I will, like I'll manage in my head, I'll manage it and I can either forgive them or I can't. It's kind of like that, right? So I ended up taking my kids with my parents on a vacation. And I was really, really proud of the fact that I did this for them. It was a dream vacation. It was incredible. I was just so proud of myself. And I told him that I was doing this and that I was going. And this was the first time I saw a side of him that I thought, this is ugly. This is this is weird. He sat me down. I was sitting on a couch and he was standing over me with his arms crossed, telling me how irresponsible I was because I had student loans and I should be paying off student loans before I took my kids on vacation with my parents who are now getting older and my kids are devastated. You know, they miss their dad. Like this was, I was so proud of myself, right? And he just ripped that away and made me feel irresponsible and that, and it, I was ashamed. And I think it was the, the first time that maybe he felt comfortable enough in our relationship to flex any kind of power he had. I didn't invite him to go with us. And he desperately wanted to be invited to go everywhere with us, wherever we went. Like my my son's birthday party, I did not invite him because I was like, I don't need that. Like, no way. My ex-husband is coming. Like, hard no, right? No, absolutely not. 
he was enraged that I didn't invite him to the birthday party. And then he lost his mind when I went on vacation. So uh, things started creeping up. So I remember saying like, this isn't, this isn't it for me. This is, um, this is completely strange and (laughs) I don't need this. I don't need to be micromanaged. I don't need that. I remember telling him one time, I have a dad. I don't need you to be a dad to me. And, and you more sound like a high school principal calling me into your office and getting mad at me for whatever reason. So it became little things. The garage, I would leave something off the shelf and he would be like, hey, what's this? And we got into this cycle of me just being like, yeah, gross. I don't need this. I don't want this. There's something off, right? So I could see it. So eventually I'm like, oh, I can't take this anymore. And I broke up with him. And that's when the real love bombing happened. The, the um, gifts, flowers. I want to work this out. I love you so much. Uh, this is, you know, you're everything I've ever wanted. I'm so sorry. I'll be different. I'll change. I love the kids. I miss the kids so much. Did they ask about me? You know, these things. Um, he would say things like, how can you do this to me? I'm trying to give you all this love. Right. And, and that spoke to me deeply because I remember thinking I had all this love for my ex-husband and he gave it away. He didn't want it. And that hurt so bad. And now here's someone doing the same to me. Right. So I felt guilty. Like here's somebody who wants to love you and you're just being stubborn or stuck in your ways. You're not understanding that he's different, that he, he wants to take care of you, right? So I'm like gaslighting myself, essentially, telling myself that this is love. So you two do end up getting back together and his controlling and micromanaging behavior continues. And also what happens during this time is that he eventually... Uh, moves to uh, a different town. So you're not living in the same town anymore uh, right after you get back together with him. So there is a long distance component to your relationship now. And then eventually you two end up going on a road trip weekend. So what happens there? Okay. So then we're going on this thing. We're on this car ride. It's nighttime. He's, I'm trying to give him directions. And I realize, like, oops, we missed an exit. No big deal. No big deal. I say, oh, gosh, you know what? We missed the exit. We got to get off and turn around. When I tell you that he completely lost his mind on me, I am not exaggerating. He was full screaming at me in this car about how irresponsible I am, how what like you know cussing saying all these crazy things to me about like what's wrong with you you can't even give me directions right like now look at us now we're we're," and he would he he would say my name only when he was mad at me it was the weirdest weirdest thing he would never say my name for anything he would only say it when he was mad to the point that today when I hear my name I hate it I hate when I hear my name because it sounds like someone's angry at me all the time. But um, so, so he's screaming at me and now I'm crying. Like I've never had a man talk to me like this in my life. My father never, my father would never dream of speaking to my mother this way. I've never witnessed it. I've never witnessed abuse. I don't even know that this is abuse at this point. 
he's just completely losing it on me. We get back on the highway. It's like, I'm sorry. I was just really stressed out, covers it up, covers it up. And then I realized like, well, I'm kind of screwed because I'm here for the weekend. I'm not going to cause a scene. I'm not going to make it worse. And I'm sure as hell not going to, you know, poke him by bringing this up and fighting with him about it. Cause I don't know what's going to happen. I'm scared. Like that was scary. So we cover it up and we move on. Like nothing happened. I was too, uh, I did not want a repeat of that. And he said that he was sorry and that he was stressed out and, and, you know, he would cry and I'd never really seen a man cry. My dad, that's not happening. You know, uh, that never happened. I, I, you know, I saw my ex-husband cry one time over the, a death, a very close death. Um, and that was it. So when I see this guy crying and telling me how sorry he is and that he loves me and he won't do it again, I mean, classic, classic stuff, right? But I had never witnessed it. I had never seen it in any of my girlfriends. I'd never, you know, I don't think I watched enough Lifetime movies at this point. Honestly, I don't, I don't, I had nothing to compare it to. So I remember thinking, this guy really loves me. This is love. So you're, you're back together with him. You are scared of him, but you do eventually uh, break up with him again. So what was the point that got you to that breakup as far, was it a safety concern? No. How sad. It was not a safety concern. It was more just, I was, he would come in for the weekend and completely control my entire weekend. Like, you, oh, I don't want to go there. We're not going there. Uh, I remember one time at like midnight, he, he said, get re- get dressed. We're going out. And I was like, what? No way, man. I'm not going out. He's like, I go out all the time for you. I go wherever you want. I want to go out, get dressed. We're going. And I remember thinking like, okay, I'm so tired. I don't want to go out. It's midnight. Like, but he's right. When, when I want to go, most times he goes. Um, you know, I, I do owe him this. It's that guilt. Right. But then he leaves and it's like a breath of fresh air. I think to myself, Oh, thank God he's gone. I can, I can breathe again. I can do whatever I want. Like he's still calling and texting all the time and we're doing this thing, but it's not the oppressive feeling of like him in my house, like nitpicking things that are wrong. Um, Oh, are you going to clean that? Or are we going to, you know, do this? Let's paint this area. Let's reorganize this area. You know, uh, what did you do here? What is this? You did this wrong. You load the dishwasher wrong. You, um, you know, everything. Like I could literally look around my kitchen as we speak and and tell you 5,000 things that he thinks I do wrong in the kitchen. Or in my bedroom, like, oh, why isn't this hung? Why don't you color coordinate your clothes better? Why are your shoes here? Why, you know, like this questioning and questioning constantly making you second guess and justify to him why you do things well i do this because i like it this way that's not good enough that's not good enough why do you do it this way we you know you this would be more efficient this would be safer this would be cleaner pointing out my flaws right at all times and and then there's this part of me that um i'm a pleaser i want i want him to be happy with me i want I like making people happy. I like taking care of them. I like people to look at me like I am successful, like I'm good. So the cycle that you're caught in is this people-pleasing cycle. 
this guilt cycle and then him being nitpicky, being very controlling, putting you down, um, just overall being, you know, attacking all these little things about yourself. And then he goes away, you get these repeat reprieves, you get these moments of clarity to do something about it. And then you do something about it. And then you hope that the cycle is over, but then somehow that cycle gets renewed. Yes. The flowers come, the apologies, the text messages. Oh my God. The text messaging of of like this weird thing, right? Like, so it's just this constant cycle of, I love you. I love you. I love you. What's wrong with you? Why don't you love me back? Um, you know, I done all this stuff for you. You, at one point he told me I owed him gas money for him coming to visit me. Insane things where I'm like this guy, like what? He's crazy. But then I'm caught up in all of this now. I'm caught up like the, the arguing over text messages. I feel like now I'm in a real relationship because sometimes you argue in real relationships. That's what he told me. Right. Um, you know, this is communication. We're communicating. This is love. I'm telling you what I'm not happy with, with you. And I find myself telling him things that, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe the words came out of my mouth. Right. Like, how could I tell somebody that, um, just like you're, you're an asshole. The way you treat me is terrible. Like, why do you make fun of me for this or that? You know, all these things. So I stand up for myself for like 20 minutes out of the week. But by the time Thursday nights come around, He's like, I really want to come and see you. I miss you so much. Can I please come down? And I'm thinking, I don't really have any plans this weekend. Okay, come down. And it starts again. And it is a weekly thing almost. Because by the time Sunday night rolls around, I am like, done. Like, get out of here, right? And he would not have lasted that long probably if he hadn't lived there and if we had those breaks. Because it's easy for him to kind of fake it on a weekend. We'll have like one good weekend. It's easy for him to fake it during those two two nights, essentially, right? Then you get into him, like, why didn't you text me back? What are you doing? I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm working. Someone's got to run this thing, you know? Okay, well, I was really waiting for this. And, you know, you made me late to my next appointment because you didn't text me back in time. So now it's, like, even more of, like, okay, a little tap dancing over here. Like, you better text him back or you're going to get in trouble. And that's what it turned into in my head. Don't get in trouble. You don't want to get in trouble. It causes problems. It's this whole thing. So just to point out to everyone that he is blaming you for being late when you did not cause him to be late at all. He's late all on his own and he is putting it all on you And who knows if he's actually even late. But what he's trying to do here is just get more control over you. And I just wanted to uh, point that out for uh, everyone. So uh, what happens next? So then he starts putting on the full core press of, I miss you when I'm not with you. The reason why we fight so much is because I'm stressed out because I love you and I miss you and we are not living together. And if we lived together, you wouldn't have to work and you wouldn't be stressed out as stressed out as you are. I will be the dad to your kids that they need. You need someone to parent them 
you need health insurance, you need someone to love you and take care of you. And if you had these things, I wouldn't be so stressed out and fight with you all the time. And I thought to myself, nope. And another year went by of this. And finally, I just was exhausted. I was so tired. I was so tired of trying to run this company and taking care of my kids, fighting with him all the time, managing all the stuff that a single mom manages. I've got this mortgage, you know, like all this stuff, right? And with him all the time, fighting, 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 telling me that it could be easier if I would just give in. It's my fault. Because if I gave in, we wouldn't stress. We wouldn't fight about anything, right? We'll be so happy. And I did. I gave in. He asked me to marry him, and I said, I said yes. So he's really worn you down here over time and comes up with a very convincing argument that you can actually grab onto in a way and say, yes, I am tired. You know, these, these things that you're saying, they, they sound sensible. And even though part of you is tired, you know, you're being worn down by him. This tiredness is being caused by him. And that's the real big trick here. So you're now convinced, but are you telling others? Does anyone know the depths of uh, what's been going uh, on here before any of the marriage proposal? Absolutely not. Um, there are moments when like my mom and I would have these conversations and I'd be like, oh, he's so like feisty. He's so annoying. Like he just, oh, he does these things. Like no one's gotten under my skin like this before. And, and she was like, my mom's so sweet. And she's like, well, maybe this is good for you. Maybe this is good. Like a fight, you know, like here's your, here's your passion. Here's your adventure. Here's your thing, right? Like this guy loves you. Clearly he keeps coming back after you break up with him a thousand times. So now I'm getting my mom's way in and we're very close thinking like, okay, maybe she's right. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is what love is, is this like challenging sort of vibe where you want to rip your hair out and you hear about this, right? Like romance novels are like, oh, he drove me crazy. We're in love. You know, uh, and and I honestly believe that I um, I thought I knew what love was with my first husband and it was very much proven by him like that. That's not what love was right in my mind. And so here comes this guy that's a complete 180 telling me things like he loves me. I'm so sexy. I'm so beautiful. I'm hot. Like I look so good. How could anyone ever dump me? This is so great. Also, I can't you know, clean my house correctly or do the laundry correctly, which I've been doing for, you know, a hundred years, it seems. Um, and so it's this like weird dichotomy in my mind between what is love and what isn't. I don't, I don't even know. Right. But my mom's telling me now he could be really good for you. He really loves you. My friends are telling me like, wow, that's really great. You're going, you know, uh, he bought you that. That's super cool. He would, you know, buy things for me that I couldn't afford and take care of things for me. And, things that I just hadn't had. Right. And I'm so tired. So finally I said, fine. Yeah. Okay. This is great. And I remember the night he proposed thinking I felt ashamed. I felt 
Like I didn't want people to know. And that was hugely telling looking back. But at the time I just thought, no, I'm embarrassed because a second wedding, like that's embarrassing to me. You know, I don't, I don't want a second wedding. I just want to kind of run away and leave, (laughs) you know, Um, we ended up getting married. And uh, as I want to say, we ended up getting married on our way, moving to where he lived. I'd pack up the kids, sell my house, pack up my kids. We're driving out there. I had, it was around Christmas time. And my daughter and I thought it was funny. We, um, in his car, we changed one of his radio stations to play uh, Christmas music. You know, funny, whatever it's Christmas. Um, And he called me, I'm in my car driving. He's in his car driving with my son. I've got my daughter. And he starts screaming at me, telling me that I missed the exit I was supposed to get off of to meet up with him. And also, why did I think that I was able to uh, change the station in his car, the programming in his car? These insane rules, right, that I didn't even know were rules are now being dropped on me where I'm like, shit, like, I can't joke around with you there are no jokes and I love laughing I mean that is like my thing right like I'm very carefree obviously I I I love that I love my kids and I we laughed all the time we we did the harmless things like that with each other all the time but I see now this is this is not going to work with him to do these kinds of things so it changed the culture of my little family knowing you can joke around with the three of us but not him almost overnight it changed. And his relationship with my kids changed almost overnight. He immediately put himself into this authoritative position that nothing was going to happen in that house unless he approved it. And uh, he was, he was the man of this house. So now you are isolated. You've sold your home you still have your business, but eventually he does convince you to, you know, really shutter that down. So you have a tiny bit of money and the trick here that will be pulled on you is that he'll want you to not touch that money because what he really wants is to be able to uh, nitpick and put down your transactions, and also be able to hold this money over your head. So your relationship has completely changed overnight. Uh, You knew this person that he's becoming or has become already way more than your kids, and your kids are about to get a majorly a different person and now you're all in his domain and Mr. Control here is about to flex his muscle because he now has free reign to do what he wants to do in any manner he chooses fit in his mind. Full and complete reign of everything. He gives me a credit card and says, use this card. And I say, okay, but you know, I have my money, like this money over here 
I'm happy to, you know, I get child support from my husband. I'm happy to use it on my kids, right? Like that's what it's for. No, 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 no. You hang on to that money. Use this credit card. Save that money. What I know now that I did not realize then is, you know, he's setting me up for like financial control, right? Because if he, if he would look at my bank statements and be like, why did you spend $30 at Chick-fil-A? My kids wanted Chick-fil-A and I, I didn't want to use the credit card. Like I have money, like let me take my kids to Chick-fil-A and I would get in trouble for using that. Right. Um, one time he like really, really recent, you know, like, or, you know, in terms of like recently being married, I accidentally bought two things of sour cream, lost his mind on me, telling me how irresponsible I am. Am I just going to waste his money? Am I, I mean, who am I? Like, what is wrong with me? I better find a way to use that. Like insanity. Right. I'm like, Holy God, it is a tub of sour cream that costs like $2. He has a lot of money this is insane. Right. And I'm thinking, okay, note to self, don't do that again. Be very, very think, you know, particular about what I purchase, looking at things, trying to keep meticulous lists so that I don't make the same mistake again. I'm trying to learn. Um, it's, it's not, it's not soon after all this that I'm pregnant. And I remember thinking, oh my God, like I found out on accident I was in the hospital. I was in the, at the doctor for something else. I needed an x-ray. And they were like, is there any chance you're pregnant? I was like, no, 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 no. But take the, take the test anyways. And she came in and she said, oh my God, you're pregnant. And I went to my car that day and I cried for an hour by myself, just crying, knowing I am full, full and totally stuck here. And this is it. I have just made my bed like, I can't do this again. I cannot be a single mom with a baby. I don't have health insurance. It's all through him. I have nothing, right? I'm so completely dependent upon him. And it's a baby. And I, I, I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, this is, this is going to bring us together. <laughs> this is going to make him love me and appreciate what I bring to the table. This is going to make him like a better man, right? Because if anything that is going to shake your control, maybe it being a little bit more relaxed, is recognizing that the house is a mess because we have a baby and it's a beautiful thing, right? Obviously, I was very, very wrong about that. Um, I remember, and I don't know if this is a trigger warning or not, but I was bleeding very early in the pregnancy. And I remember thinking to myself, if I lose this baby, I can leave. I can get out. I can still find a way to leave. I'll just go back. Uh, you know, I could even get this marriage annulled probably like it's that short of time. Right. Or, you know, all these wild thoughts. And I didn't, I ended up, um, carrying, you know, having the baby. She was a preemie, which added an entire level of stress and drama to everything because he never outwardly came out and blamed me, but I, I knew he blamed me for her being a preemie. And what I know now probably is that it was the stress that I went, I went into labor at 26 weeks and she was like two and a half pounds when she was born. Uh, the amount of stress I was under was incredible. He would have me like going out in um, hundred degree heat and cleaning our pool with a net while pregnant because he said like, well, you don't work all day. I do. 
you can easily do this. It's like exercise. And if I didn't do the pool every day, I would get in trouble. If I wasn't outside hanging out with him when he was doing yard work in a hundred degree heat because he decided to, I would get in trouble. The kids fell under that rain too. So I, I really tried to align myself to protect them. So I'd be like, no, 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 I'll go help. I'll go help outside. You kids stay inside and, you know, do something, you know, be creative and how you're going to be helpful to the family, but I will block all of this for us. Right. Um, It just went on and on. Like, it was just so crazy. It was so small. It was so tiny. And you think to yourself, well, I'm not going to throw a marriage away because yeah, sometimes my husband's a little crazy about things. Right. Or he's a little mean about certain things. I just had a baby. She's healthy now. Like, we're here. I can't leave. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do with three kids? You know, no way. Um, and also there was this insane, extreme shame. There is no way I'm going to be divorced twice. Like, are you kidding me? Not me. <laughs> you know, um, so that really kept me there for a very, very, very long time. As things start progressing in our marriage, um, this is when like the sexual coercion really, really ramped up. If I wanted anything, let's say I wanted to go on vacation with all of our neighbors because we were very close with them. It would be like him saying, uh, yeah, well, we can go. And keep in mind, like money's not an issue for him. So he would say, well, if you want to go, you know what you need to do. And I remember being like, oh. Great. Okay. Well, I do want to go. Of course, I want to go on vacation, right? Like my whole thing was just like getting out in the world and seeing things and being adventurous. And now I have kids and I have money to do this. And but now I I got to pay the piper, right? So if I didn't want to have sex or if I didn't want to do whatever, I was in. Not only was I in trouble, but my kids weren't going to get to go on vacation, and neither was I. Or my son's team that he was playing for was buying these bags that everybody gets. He's like, well, if you want him to get that, you know what you need to do. So soon after all these things started happening, I really started feeling like that's all I'm worth is cooking him dinner, taking care of his child and sex. That's it. That is the only thing. And even then, as time progressed, He started complaining about the dinners I made. He started um, telling me that, "Mm, yeah, you had sex. Like, yeah, we did it. But guess what? It wasn't that good. You need to try harder. So even the things that I was good at, you know, bare bones, right? Now, suddenly, I'm not even good at those. He would say things like, oh, you read that book about, there was a book that I had about, like, raising sons, right? Because I was really concerned being a single mom raising a son. I, I, I. I don't know how to raise a son. (laughs) I've never done it. I read this book on on how to raise sons. And he's like, clearly you never read that book. You are a terrible parent. You don't parent. You're not, you're not forceful enough with them. You're not um, assertive enough with them. You need to punish them more. You need to, you know, you need to um, let me take care of this aspect. You, You like all these things, right? So anything that I thought I was good at, is slowly and surely being stripped away to where I think to myself, I'm not good at anything. I'm not good at anything. I'm not even pretty anymore to him. The things that he like really told me at the beginning, I'm not even that. 
I am nothing. I am nothing. Like I could, I bring nothing to this table that he is appreciative of. And are your children voicing displeasure about him at this point? So my daughter was always his favorite younger, right? He loved her. The, the bond that they had truly in my mind was one of the things that I thought I, I need to keep this man in her life because I want her to see what a good man is, that a good man sticks around and that a good man is solid and you can count on him. As soon as she turned 11 and started having opinions as 11 year old girls get right. Uh, the flip switch completely. And now they are mortal enemies. My daughter hates him. The things she would say to me, like, why do you let him talk to you like that? Why do you let him treat you like that? And now she's getting older and older and older. And I'm thinking, shit, I got a real problem here because my daughter is now seeing that number one, men leave like her father. Number two, other men are just horrible sometimes and they say terrible terrible things right and i don't want her being raised in a house where she sees these things being said to people to her mom to her to her brother i'm 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 looking at my son and thinking my god i don't want him to grow up and treat women the way that he's treating me because by now what's happening is that when he wants to yell at me or have a conversation with me is what he says he calls me into the bedroom and these bedroom talks, I, he is relentless. Like, come here. You need to come up here. Come up here now. And I'd be like, oh, my God. I could either stand my ground and get into a match with him in front of my kids, which I am adamant that I'm not going to do. Or I just acquiesce and I give in and I go and I take it. I apologize and we move on. So these talks would last sometimes up to two hours. One time I got a two-hour um lecture on how an ice maker works and how I messed up the ice maker in the refrigerator. I did not. It's these rants of just how wrong I am, how right he is, how much he loves me, how if I would just do this, this, or this, everything would be better. And that he's sorry and he loves me. Come and give me a kiss. It's all over. But these are like two hour increments and they are happening more and more frequently to the point where at the end, like I'm like, Okay, first, let me, you know, pour a giant glass of wine, suffer through this. I'll drink my wine while you rant. Sometimes I would try to, like, fold my laundry while this is going on. And then he would say, look at me. What are you doing? You you can't focus on more than one thing. You need to look at me. So I'm just sitting there staring at this guy as he is just ripping me apart for whatever reason. Um, one time he wanted to have this fight with me, this argument. I'm sitting on the couch with my daughter. He says, if you don't come upstairs right now with me, I'm going to tell her what her birthday present is. It was her 16th birthday. And it was a huge gift that I had worked on. It was a big deal. So he's created this like no win situation for me. I'm not going to sit there and fight or else my daughter loses. And he knows it. He uses my kids absolutely as a weapon against me. He knows that that's, you can say anything to me. You can do anything to me, but if it's geared towards my kids, that's when I completely draw the line. So I give in everything. I give in everything. And also during this time, you wrote me that you eventually have zero privacy and that things begin to be tracked. So what happens there? 
So I realized uh, as I'm sort of taking stock of my life at one point, as my kids, you know, my daughter's 16 now, my son's 14. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I am in it. This is escalating quickly. Uh, I think to myself, okay, well, let's take a look at where I am, right? Like, let's take stock of all of this. He has the credit card. I'm technically not allowed to use my card with my money on it, right? Uh, he is tracking, he'll, he'll text me from work and be like, oh, I see you're watching this on Netflix. So he knows what I'm watching on TV when I watch anything. Uh, he, he's on my music account. He knows what I'm listening to. Like, wow, you're listening to that song a lot. Um, he is tracking my period as well in the sense of like, he will dig in the trash can to see if I'm truly on my period. When I say like, oh, I can't have sex, you know, for whatever reason, he would track that. He would try, he would go through my kids' trash to see what they're throwing out. If he didn't think that uh, it was worthy of being thrown out, he would take it out and put it on their bed for them to know, I went through your things. I, You have no privacy in this home, and I will decide what you can throw away. He tracked finances. He tracked my library. He was on my library card, so I couldn't check any books out that he didn't know about, right? Uh, Amazon, for sure, was his account. Everything I ordered from Amazon, he would track. I wanted to go one time to Target, and I I took my daughter. He was trying to get a hold of me. I didn't answer the phone because I was we were he was mad at me for whatever. I just went off to Target. He did the find my iPhone tone and played the I find my iPhone tone in Target until I picked it up. Just the control that he had. He bought me an uh, an iPhone watch, you know, um, and would say at and would say, why aren't you picking up your phone? I know you can get your text messages. That's why I bought you that watch. And to this day, I can't wear that watch. It completely triggers me. I was like a dog with a collar. And if I did not text him back immediately or call him to engage in whatever he was pissed about, there was even more trouble when I got when he got home. I was just like, how did this happen? You know, you're in a prison and he's the evil warden and uh all of you are being controlled and being monitored uh every little thing micromanaged you know the only thing that you're allowed to do really is go to the bathroom you know when you want it seems everything else can have some repercussion even f food as well. Right, right. Um, and mentioning the bathroom, <laughs> there would be times that I would lock the door. I'm going to the bathroom, right? Uh, he would just unlock the door and just come right in. I'd be in the bathtub and he would just unlock the door and come right in. Why are you locking the door? I'm your husband. You know, these kinds of things, right? And I, I'd also like to point out that, like, I was in a very beautiful prison. From the outside, my house was a dream house. Like so pretty, so beautiful in that perfect neighborhood. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. I like the neighbors were also great. They were my best friends. We had this, like, it was this so perfect from the outside looking in. You would never suspect him. You would never suspect he was successful at work. He's winning national awards, right? We would go out and people would be like, oh my God, y'all are like the greatest couple. Like you're so fun. And you know, like it's just insane. And I, I always 
it was my misinterpretation, but I always thought that people um, in abusive relationships, like that you could tell, right? Like, oh, he's an asshole. You can tell. Um, and, or she, I understand like she's, she's naggy or, you know, like I did not realize how silent it is and how it just creeps up on you. You don't even realize what's happening. And I'm not telling anybody, this is humiliating. I'm embarrassed. I am so embarrassed that I got myself into this situation. I'm embarrassed that I let it happen. I'm embarrassed that he's telling people like, you know, oh, she's so messy. She's, you know, oh, I got to go home and clean because she's not going to. You know, it, these things aren't true, but he's telling people like, oh, she, you know, uh, it's embarrassing. Like these kinds of things about me. Um, I just had no idea. I didn't know. So eventually you do end up going to see a therapist and that therapist gets you to read a book. So tell us about that. So he's harping on me. He's telling me, he's telling me daily how awful I am. I remember one time I looked at him and I said, oh my God. I said, I, I don't know how I even have friends based on how you tell me how I'm so awful. I have so many friends. I have the most incredible group of friends you could ever imagine. I don't know why they like me. I am deeply now concerned about myself. I think I am a horrible person. I, it like one of these days, all these friends are going to wake up and be like, wow, she really is terrible. Just like he says she is. Right. So I said, hey, let's go to um, therapy. I said, I don't believe that that marriage should be this hard. And he said to me, what do you know your husband left you? And that was like. I never had the breath taken out of my body from something that somebody said before, but I was speechless. I. That was like a huge moment for me thinking like, oh my gosh, he will literally say anything to win, right? He's a dirty fighter, clearly. So I said, okay, that's it. You tell me that you can't go to couples therapy because of your job. Fine, I'm going, I'll go, I'll go, I'll do that. I'll do the work, I'll do the hard work. It must be me, right? So I go and I call first and I said, listen, I, I don't know if my husband's abusive or if he's just an asshole. And she laughed and she said, I would love to talk to you. And that's how I got in. And I started the first day. She said, I, I kind of explained some of these things, right? And she's like, let me ask you this. Does he rage at you like this in front of other people? I was like, no, he, he saves it. Like he, he only does it at home when we're alone. She's like, that's a huge sign. And I had no idea. But that shows that he can control it. You know, like he's controlling his anger enough to to know that it's wrong to do in public. So he does it at home. And that's a huge, huge red flag. I had no idea. I didn't know. Um, so she tells me to read the book, Why Does He Do That? And um, by Lundy Bancroft, is that it? Oh, yes. It should be the first book everyone reads. I promise you, I promise you. That book and this podcast saved my life because I was on a flight. I was on a six-hour flight reading this book. And I'll never forget it. I covered the front. I covered the um, the cover with contact paper because I was so embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to read the title of this book that I was in this situation, right? Like, I'm shamed. And I'm highlighting 
page after page after page. I could have highlighted the whole book. And I, at the end of the flight, I remember thinking, shit, I have a major, major problem. I am absolutely in an, an abusive relationship that was dressed up really pretty on the outside and looked really good. And, and this is bad. And at one point, my therapist said to me, what are we going to do when he hits you? Because by now he started blocking my exit as I'm trying to leave the room. I'm so fed up with his crap, right? That I'm trying to leave and he is physically blocking my exit. He is getting physical in the sense of, oh, one, one, he said, if you keep laughing at me, he's very, his ego is so big that he can't stand to be laughed at, to made fun of. He can't be the butt of any joke, nothing, right? He told me, if you laugh at me like that, I'm going to hit you. And my daughter heard, and she ended up Snapchatting one of her friends that, oh my God, I just heard my stepdad threatened to hit my mom. So things are getting messy. All the protection that I ha- thought I had in place protecting my kids is not happening. His ire, his angst and anger has all turned onto my daughter, but also my son, he's just nasty to him. Like it's, it's a miserable existence for all of us. It's almost like, um, so one of the things that would happen is that he would come home from from work and the garage you know he'd push the garage door and my kids would scatter like little cockroaches to their rooms it took a year for me not to be triggered by a garage door opening that feeling of oh my god looking around do I look okay does my house look okay is there a a play-doh on the table from from our, our child you know uh those kinds of things started coming into play so she tells me what are you gonna do when he hits you he will hit you. And that's when I thought, that's it. I'm not, I'm not letting my kids see this anymore. This is crazy. This is crazy. It's madness. She compared my, like some of the things I said to that movie, Sleeping with the Enemy. And I remember watching that as a child and be like, this shit's crazy. Then I remember thinking, this is me. Because now I'm literally laying this groundwork. So I have to somehow like separate, not, not separate finances, but like start a nest egg over here that he cannot reach. He cannot get it. And he cannot know about this, right? I have to check out more books at the library, but what I couldn't check out books and I couldn't open another library card because he's online. I can't order books from Amazon. I can't have books physically here and I can't listen to them on my phone because he has access to everything. So what I would do is I looked up the story times at the local library, would take my toddler there for story time, she would sit there and listen to story time, but I would read books on abuse. So I had one hour every Tuesday and every Thursday, and I would read. And I would just, I'm a very fast reader, luckily, but like I got through a lot, right? Um, and then, you know, you go through and you're trying to separate like, okay, TV, who cares? Like all these things, right? But you just realize like how deep you are into everything. And then, uh, I mean, I started a little company, a side company. And I knew it was insignificant enough with the money I was making and a lot of people paid by cash. And I would literally send this cash to my mom, piles of cash in the mail. I could not track it. through. I could not send it through the post office because he could track and be like, what did you ship? I see shipping on our credit card statement, right? They're just throw stamps on it and be like, there's $500. If it gets lost, it gets lost. But if it makes it, that's great. And that's how I started saving money because it was so inconsequential that that amount of money for him, he never really paid attention to what I did anyways for this kind of work. 
Um, and, and I just said, mom, I need you. I need you to hang on to these things. Really don't ask questions. You know, she was, she was tuned into it by now because I confided in her. And also what I wanted to point out here for people is that even though you had uh, money uh, previously in an account from your home and from whatever you had from your business in this spot you're in while you're also uh, earning money and, and earning in cash somewhat secretly, he knows kind of what's going on, but has really no idea how much money you uh, are actually bringing in with a financial abuser like this, you know, he's cut off what he thinks is a major source of income for you. So you only have this certain amount of money. He he pretty much knows how much money you have there from the house. And when it comes to divorce and someone who's very spiteful, who wants to take you to trial and custody and all of those things, even if you think you have a lot of money, a lawyer can take so much when you have um, uh, it doesn't matter how much you have when someone wants to kind of just draw things out. Uh, it, no amount of money is enough money when it comes to, um, abuse of people like this who are going to be like really spiteful when it comes to court. Um, and I know a lot of you out there are, are dealing with that. So I'm sorry you interrupted there. And what happens from here? And then things ramped up even more. He had to leave for a little while for work. So I had a few months by myself and that's when the real work started of I I'm getting out. I am leaving. I'm, I cannot take this anymore. And, um, I contacted an, an attorney, my best friend paid for it initially because I, I didn't have, he's tracking everything. I don't have access to that kind of money. Right. Um, I go and I meet with her. She tells me you got to get out. Like you got to go. I mean, and th this whole story of me leaving is a whole other podcast, I swear, because it was insane. I ended up going to stay with my parents for a little while. I sent my older kids off to be with their dad for a month uh, because I knew they could not be around him when I dropped this bomb because he would absolutely take it out on them, right? And so I had to protect them and send them away, which is a horrible thing to do as a parent. Like, it broke my heart. But I knew I was protecting them. And by now, I had told my ex-husband, like, listen, we're, this is bad. This is really bad. He said, I, and he's the greatest, honestly. He just said, I will do whatever you need. I will give you whatever money you need. You can come and live here with us. And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> um, you know, whatever you need with the kids, just tell me I am here. We will make this happen. So I went away for a little while with um, our child. He completely started the smear campaign, which I could never see coming, had no idea it was in, like, it is so textbook. It is shocking to me. It is like a, an absolute playbook. And I had no idea. I didn't know. I didn't know that people did this, right? Uh, he told everyone that I kidnapped our kid. I did not. He knew exactly where she was every second of every day. I said, um, you know, I'll come back when I have somewhere to go. Like I need to live in the house. And he refused to leave. We were homeless for a while because I had nowhere to go. It, it just, it was insane. And I'm like, you know, glossing over like this time period. It's, it's been like a year, a year and a half now since I told him that I was leaving and, and since, you know, it's happening and suddenly 
you know, of course he's like dad of the year and he's portraying himself as just being the most incredible parent. He's so heartbroken. He doesn't understand. He's absolutely the victim. He cries on command, you know, all these things. Right. And, um, and I just look back and I have, you know, thousands of stories of him just covering his cruelty with these apologies that mean absolutely nothing and promises and the future faking and all of it. Like it is completely textbook. And I still wake up every single day thinking, holy shit, how did this happen? And one of the things that I really worked, cause I've been in therapy now for two years. And one of the things I still work through is the feeling of my failure in this, right? Like divorce twice. This is insane. But one day I sat down and I was like, okay, let's just say I'm halfway through with done with my life. I cannot imagine living one more day in that house with this guy, just overbearing and watching every single movie you make. Like, no, thanks. It, it just came to a point where I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Um, and now like there's happiness in my house. There is joy, like pure joy. But before you got to that pure joy, you had to go through the divorce process in custody. So um, was what kind of things did he throw at you there? And did that get, and has that gotten resolved? No. So we are still in the thick of the divorce. We are still going through this. Um, you know, I filed for 100% custody. He filed for 50 Um so, you know, we're kind of waiting to go down this line of a trial because I really want to go home. It's all I, I just want to go home and he won't allow that. And I, you know, I was very wary at first of God, I don't, I don't want to talk about this abuse. I don't want to out him. This is shameful. This is embarrassing. He should be mortified, right? And I think he counted on that for me. I think he really, really believed that I wouldn't say anything. And I said something. I marked abuse. My reason for divorce, abuse. I, my lawyer has said to his lawyer, he is horribly abusive. Um, that he is vicious. His character, like he is a vicious man. Uh, and then my therapist is willing to be a witness on the trial. Um there, there are people that are involved in this that are willing to to come and and testify and say, you know, how bad they saw it. And my daughter, who's now eighteen, she absolutely wants to testify. Uh, my son wants to. Like everyone, everyone wants this like sense of justice, right? But it has been very ugly. I I never really knew what like an ugly divorce was because my first husband and I were so nice to each other. <laughs> I was heartbroken. But he was so good to me and I just loved him so much, you know, and, and we just always wanted what's best for the kids. That was very easy. But have you ever heard that saying? Like, if you ever really want to know a man, divorce them. It is so true. It is so true. The character of someone just completely comes out. He knew we were homeless. He lived in a five bedroom house by himself while we were homeless. I carried around, um, you know, three kids, a cat and a dog. He sent, he, he threatened to send my dog to the pound. Um, the, the cruelty that he can exert on people is just mind blowing to me. I, I, 
that's one of my problems, right? Like, it's hard to play chess with somebody when you can't fathom the next horrible move that they're going to make. You can't. So I would be like, what's the worst case scenario here? Well, worst case scenario is I am uh, homeless. So now we're living in like Airbnbs. I have a few friends out here that I would like stay with. But keep in mind, I have three kids, a cat and a dog. Like we come with a lot of baggage. So I'm hopping houses all the while. He knows. And he's just fat and happy in that house, unrelenting, refusing to move. Cut me off completely financially. I should mention that. Everything. Kicked me off the um, our phone bill right away. So he could track what I'm doing, but I could not track what he was doing. And um, there's actually a domestic violence clause in some uh, uh, carriers of phones. I don't know if you know that. I did not know this. That if you have a court order, they will immediately be able to remove you off your contract and get you over to something else so that you can't be tracked and stalked anymore. But you do need the court order. And I didn't have that at that point. Um, So it was like, cut me off the phone, having access to that. Cut me off of every single credit card. Every bill changed. I could see the money just being swiped right out of all of our accounts. Lied to me about that. Like everything, right? Like I was absolutely on my own. But I had money from that account that I never would share with him. And the money that I had like, you know, like squandered, you know, like squirreled away essentially with my mom. Um, But that's how that's how it happened. And as I stated before, when it comes to that money that you squirreled away, that can go quick with court and you were sued by him. And, you know, now you do get some financial assistance from the government because that money really did go quickly with um, everything that he is throwing at you. But the good thing is, is that you are now leading a peaceful life. And even though you're not in the full healing process yet, because you still have court and, and custody stuff that you're going through, uh, so you don't really have the full chance to get that healing going. You still are doing your best in living this peaceful life that you didn't get before when you were inside his home or, or in this marriage at all or this relationship. So now with you know where you are in your life and your story, what are the uh, words of wisdom that you have uh, for everyone listening? Yes, I would say surround yourself with as much knowledge as possible. Do the research however you can. Go to the library once a week. Look at a book. You know, whatever it is, uh, be smart about it. Recognize it took me a year to admit that I was a victim. Because to me, that even saying this, even still sometimes I'm like, oh. But admitting that I was a victim was huge. Because it allowed me to not make excuses for his behavior. So uh, saying that I was a victim, let me get more help. It, 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 it kind of let me off the hook and thinking that everything's my fault, right? And I think it's important that you recognize just what has been done to you. I would write it all down if you have a safe space to keep it. I mean, my husband read through a lot of things, but I got really good at hiding things too. 
um, I think it's important. I still look at my, my notes and my journal some days because I think this is one of the problems I have. I think to myself, was it really that bad? It's kind of like childbirth, right? Like you have a kid and four years later, you're like, it didn't hurt so bad. Let's have another one, right? So for me, I like to remind myself how miserable this situation was so that I don't forget. I never want to forget it. I never will be in this position again. Um, educate yourself. Trust a few people if you can. I think that that's really important. Find one person that you can talk to or trust. And maybe that's just the therapist, right? Maybe it's just one person, but that person can be an absolute lifeline to you when you need it. Um, I would say, and also someone told me at the very beginning, she's like, oh, this is going to get spicy. Those are the words she used. And she said, lean into the spicy. Like you got to walk through it. Right. And I really, something in that resonated with me because I remember thinking like, I never felt like this like badass woman. Right. Yeah. I run, ran a company and did pretty incredible things in my life. I never really felt felt like a badass, but I knew I had to be. So whether it's like an inspirational quote or if it's just the saying that you rephrase, like say in your mind over and over, anything that's going to give you that strength in that moment to get you through one more hour of not talking to him if you're leaning that way or, you know, going and setting up your own bank account or, um, you know, whatever it is, right? Like no one's going to save you, but you, I really feel that way at the end of the day. And one of the things that was really difficult for me during this process of setting up my own bank account and going to a therapist and talking to different advocates is I thought to myself, I am exactly who he says I am. I am shady. I am a liar. I am deceptive. I am all these things, right? But you could turn anything around and I'm not being shady. I'm being strong. I'm not being a liar. I'm being smart. It's a chess game, in my opinion. And I think that it's all how you phrase it, right? Unfortunately, so many times I feel like in these situations, like these women and men who are victims of all of this, they're just so used to not being strong. You know, we've been told that we're not strong for years, but there just has to be this glimpse, right? Maybe all you need is like two minutes a day of strength. I feel like it's important. So, Lennon, I really want to thank you so much for being here with me today, for sharing your story, for uh, really giving a vocabulary to people today. Uh, A lot of people have heard uh, so many different scenarios that they have been going through or have gone through, and you really did a a great job of explaining them, all these little tiny things for people to feel validated for what they've gone through, for what they're going through, for their experience. So a really, really big thank you for uh, being here with me today. Oh, well, thank you, because I really do believe that, I'm, I'm not kidding, I really do believe that listening to this podcast really allowed me to see a lot. So thanks. It's fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. (laughs) Sharing your trauma. Um, (laughs) Good times for everyone, right? (laughs) So uh, once again, thank you. 
And for those of you that want to be a guest on our show like Lennon was today, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that Guest Form button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. Please read all of the instructions that are there and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse.com or fill out our, sorry, NarcissistApocalypse.com at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. My apologies for that. Or fill out our guest form page, press the submit button, and please do read all of the instructions and send us everything in the format that we ask for in our instructions. Also at our website, we have our very own support group. So if you need support, everyone, join our support group at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Click on the support group button. It takes you to our very own safe social network. There we have three Zoom support group meetings a week, Wednesday nights. Thursday afternoons and Saturday nights, we have forum boards for you to post and for our peers, your peers who've gone through this abuse to be responding to you, to give you uh, as much care as you need, as much validation as you need. So please do join our support groups. Also in our support groups, we have ad-free episodes and we have episodes that never made it to air as well. And if you need even more support, everyone, please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. It's a free resource. They have articles and resources there for you to read. They have all the phone numbers to shelters, all the websites for shelters and for domestic violence agencies as well. It is a fantastic resources. It's a great organization, domesticshelters.org. So please visit them today as well. And now that is it for today's episode, for today's story. A big thank you uh, to Lennon. And from Lennon and myself, we hope you have a good night.